Hello and welcome back to Castle Rock Critical. Yes, we are back. It has been a two-week break for us. We had a nice little bit of R&R after that crazy finale, which angered the fandom and pleased some of the fandom, but angered a lot of the fandom. Um, but as we said, and as we promised, we are back and we are turning our attention now in the off-season to a little bit of Castle Rock Season 2 news and any news that comes about, but also and mainly to Stephen King and his adaptations. And this week, we're doing John's favourite, Cujo. Yay! Yeah, that's, that's John sounding very excited. Uh, so I'll, I'll intro them, or I'll intro who's with us today. Uh, today I'm joined by our very own Donna Trenton, Emma. Hiya! Uh, a smallish grating child in Tad Trenton, Gareth. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, and an absolute slob of a man. Uh, it's our very own Joe Camber, John. Hello. I yeah. prefer Cujo, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, slob of a man, mate. I, no, saw, I saw Joe Camber and I read Joe Camber in the Cujo novels. Like, that, that is John. That is John down to a T if he just lived out there. Yeah. So I might move you out to Maine. I don't know. I thought he was a bit more like Gary Purvis. Well, yes. Gary Pervert? Either, yeah. either one of them. Either one of them, to be honest. But before we get into Cujo and the, the silliness of that film, let's start off with some Castle Rock news, because Ooh. that is what we are. We are Castle Rock Critical. And there is there's some developments, guys. There are some developments. So as we've said uh, previously, that uh, Castle Rock had only really been released in the US and Canada, I believe, on Hulu in the US and Canada on a channel I can't remember. Um, but... <laughs> Finally, some people are going to be able to see the show because it's coming out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Um, so the first season is going to hit shelves on January 8th, 2019, so not too far away. Mm. But importantly, you will be able to buy the whole of Castle Rock Season 1 digitally on October 15th. So Woo! that that is actually good news because it just gives people an option. There were so many people when we were talking about this in the Stephen King threads on Facebook, on mm. Reddit, who were like, oh, I don't want to pay for Hulu because I just don't see the value in it. And I, I'm not, <laughs> you know, and they didn't want to do it. So... This is a good opportunity now just to get this, this series as a standalone on digital release on October 15th. And if mm. you want the Blu-ray, that is January 8th, 2019. And good. for all you Aussies out there, Gareth, this is coming to your neck of the woods. Um, it's going on an actual TV channel. It's going on Fox Showcase in early November. I think it's November 12th is the premiere date there. So the show is slowly eking out into the rest of the world, which is which is great news because um, we need more people to see this show. I'll just I'll translate for any Australian listeners um, who might not have understood what you said. Um, so, guys, you, you'll be pleased to know that the show's coming out and um, it'll be on Fox Showcase. All right? <laughs> oh, cheers, mate. Uh, thanks for that. Um, sorry I don't speak the native tongue. Unfortunately, there still is no UK release on, on any channel. Um, but if uh, <laughs> if Fox Showcase have bought it, I think there's a strong chance that Fox over here will might purchase the show. But yeah. we're waiting. Job lot. We're, yeah, we're waiting with bated breath. <laughs> any news of the VHS release? Um, <laughs> I could email them for you, John, but they might not pick that up. Right. If they're the VHS crew, they're not really forward thinking. Yeah. And before we get into our recap of Cujo and all our thoughts, a quick advert. Hello, yes, advert time. And just to say, we have a very, very busy time coming up for Fan Critical and Castle Rock Critical. So uh, I'm just going to give you a, a couple of highlights about what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Me and John have just covered The Predator over on our Fan Critical channel. Uh, it's an awful film, but if you've seen it and want a laugh... Please check out our review. We had a good time doing it. And Fan Critical can be found, like this podcast, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, at, you know, iTunes, anywhere. Just Google Fan Critical uh, or search Fan Critical and we'll come up. Not only have we done The Predator, we are going to be doing Venom in the next week or so. On top of that, we're starting our Walking Dead coverage again for season nine in a much more short and fun format, which I think is going to be really good. Looking forward to that. So anyone listening to this, if you like The Walking Dead, please do subscribe to our channel, Fan Critical. That's where we're going to release all our Walking Dead episodes every single week from now on. We've got a lot of good comic knowledge with that show um, and a lot of like show fanaticism as well in Emma. So there's there's a really good mixture of thoughts on that podcast. Not only that, we are going to be covering Halloween in the lead up to Halloween because that looks like it's going to be a hopefully good horror film. I'm hoping that franchise can get back on track. Um, we've been let down by other franchises very recently. Um, 
So, yeah, that's what we've got going on here at Fan Critical. Um, and if you do enjoy this, please do subscribe to either Castle Rock Critical or Fan Critical. We are going to be doing another adaptation of Stephen King in two weeks' time. Back to the podcast. Now, on to uh, John's favourite, Cujo. Um, and I think it's important to start off with what I thought was quite a hilarious summarization from uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And this is what they had to say about Cujo. Cujo is artless work punctuated with moments of high canine gore and one wild D. Wallace performance. I thought that was a pretty good summary. Mm. Yeah, spot on. I, I mean, so I think we're going to do our usual blueberrying. And for anyone listening for the first time, we rate everything. We rated the whole of Castle Rock season one and every episode uh, out of zero to five blueberries. Five being the maximum, zero being the lowest, and there can be no halves. It's a very harsh but fair scale. I'm going to throw it over to... Uh, John first, as he is our oh. he's our slobby slobby Joe Camber character, and he's also the one who's most enamoured with the rabid dog Cujo. I believe it's time for you to let us know your thoughts on this classic. I've thought about this, um, and I've gone back and forth, <laughs> and um, yeah, you've slept on it. You like doing that, don't you? You like sleeping on things. Yeah, Reviews okay. mainly, right? Yeah, that's weird. I am going to give it two blueberries two, out of two blueberries so uh, anyone listening that's a two from john expected what were your reasons there <clears throat> anyone that heard the uh the predator podcast um, i'm sorry to anyone who had to listen to us argue not argue uh at each other but just with arguing at who is more angry yeah who was more angry um, at us yeah so the reason i give it a two um and to 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 borrow a phrase out of uh, the Predator pod, which Predator oh. got a one blueberry, by the way. Yeah, the first one ever, <laughs> the first thing ever in our history to get a one blueberry. The reason I give this a two is that it 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 gets an extra blueberry for being so bad. It's it's quite funny. Mm. There are, I mean, there are parts of this where you should be screaming um, because it's a horror film. Uh, where yeah. I was just cracking up. Um, you, there, there's a move in particular that, that Cujo does, and yeah. it's one of the the few things um, that the uh, that Saint Bernard uh, does. Great actor, um, by the way. Yeah, I think yeah. he's limited. Uh, um, <laughs> and, the, and the reason that I think he's limited is he's a dog for one, um, so he has no formal training. Um, but for two, there, there's a bit where he does like this little roll. You notice yeah, that throughout yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah. Every so often, he'll do like a little roll yeah. where he's like recovering or injured or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that made me chuckle every time that happened. I was like, right, okay, this. It's almost like the Keanu Reeves of uh, of acting dogs. He's typecast. So, he's typecast. Oh, yeah, yeah. leave Keanu alone. He's great at rolling um, over when he's trying to recover yeah. himself. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to give it a two. Oh, lovely jubbly. Gareth, throwing it over to you next. You were watching this on a flight back from Singapore. Um, must have been weird for anyone sitting next to you to see that you are watching this film. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the time with with movies. You know, your your rating of it is based on your personal experience yeah. that that you get from the context in which you've watched it. Oh. So, yeah, I, I actually started watching this in the waiting lounge. Yeah. And that was all right. Like, I was I was in a little corner. Um, I, I was able to kind of watch it discreetly. Then we then halfway through, we had to board. So I got on the plane and carried on watching. And... I was just embarrassed to be watching it. (laughs) And like, I know for a fact that there was this, this, this woman sort of diagonally behind me with her son trying to fall asleep and the flashing images from Cujo, like mauling everybody. (laughs) I was just creating nightmare material. So, you know, not only was the film itself, pretty poor yeah but the but the embarrassment that i had the con the 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 feeling of the shame yeah it was, it was shame really <laughs> as i was watching it it's like john when he's kind of watching uh, his, his porn films on the tube <laughs> I'd, I'd rather flick to pornography than watch this on the tube to be honest <laughs> well and then that's the other thing it probably looked like i was watching porn because then i was trying to sort of hide it it was a horrible experience and i so f- for me, the watching of this film can only get one blueberry. Oh, <laughs> that, I did not see that coming. Oh my god! Oh I my god! I can't days. believe someone's given a worse review than me in any pod. That is that, that is, is brilliant. I love that. We're breaking records left, right, and centre this week. Loving it, Emma. Me and you have both read the book in the last few weeks. Well, 
I'll debate this. I listen to an audio book and apparently that's, you know, it's criminal. Different. It's a different experience. Yeah, it's better, if anything. So uh, that's that's why they cost more. Yeah, fact. <laughs> As someone who's read the book and seen the film, what were your thoughts? I actually um, really enjoyed the film. So everyone's had a very strange viewing experience. I am on day three of Sober October. Uh, so I watched Cujo, not even with the comfort of a beer in my living room, on my mm. own yesterday. Um, <laughs> and I've got to say, I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was really good fun, which is probably not how mm. it should be. Mm. And for the most part, I-, I thought the book was fantastic, FYI, and I will blueberry that as well in a minute. Ooh. Um, I-, I thought that for the most part, despite some really glaringly obvious differences, it was quite faithful to the book. It's very faithful to the book. Which uh, I was quite impressed uh, by. Apart from, I'd say there's a few. A few. One is major. One yeah. is major, which we'll get on to when we get there. Um, but I understand why they did that, and that didn't lessen my enjoyment. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, so I'm going to give Cujo the 1983 film. <laughs> yeah. Three blueberries. I think that's a fair score. And I'm going to go give Cujo the I don't know when it was written book four blueberries. There you go. Um, I'm going to echo your blueberry scores across the board. I'm going to give the film a three, and I'm going to give uh, the uh, book a four. I don't think the book's a five. It's a very slow book. All of Stephen King is slow. Yeah, but this this was this was hard work up until when it really gets going, and when it gets going, it is very very good. Honestly, I, I thought the film would be way worse than it was. I remember watching it years and years ago, and I mm. thought it would—I thought it would be bad. I actually enjoyed the film, like you said. That's a weird thing to say. I felt sorry for Cujo, man. I feel sorry <laughs> for him. Like he's such a lovely little dog, and and you kind of get the sense of that in the book as well—that he is just this sort of whimsical dog who wants to do well, <laughs> and 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 mm. is and is literally. What do you mean? He wants to do well. He is a little whimsical dog. He, you know, and we even the first scene is him, you know, in the in the field. <laughs> he wants to do well. Um, <laughs> He's not like applying for university to like improve his. I think where Len's coming from is in the book. He talks a lot about wanting to be called good boy. Yeah, exactly. But you guys, did that first opening scene? I know we're going to talk about it, but now you've mentioned it. Did that not remind you of like Homeward Bound or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And that, and that's what I mean. Like that's what I mean about Cujo. You, you kind of feel sorry for him. Like it, it's not necessarily his fault. He's just you know an inquisitive animal and these I mean, things happen um the most the most the, the the thing that i took from it the, the most and from the book is just the sense of castle rock as a town we're getting a lot of characters in in the book mainly we find a lot you know a lot more out about them they're all just despicable people um apart from the main protagonists of of and even donna and vic to an extent have their negative moments but you know people like joe camber steve kemp they're just bad people all of the characters you kind of get the sense of why castle rock inherently has these problems and we've said it before in the podcast when we're watching castle rock is that maybe it's just because bad people inhabit this town you know i'm not saying they're just you know it's all black and white and that there are gray characters but they always <laughs> lean towards the eye of you know towards the side of sin or negativity yeah and for anyone who's uh listening if you did watch it then um well done well done because we are giving you homework every two weeks and later on in this podcast we will announce uh what we're going to be covering in two weeks time <laughs> and, uh, reading homework. and that gives us reading homework and it gives people the opportunity to go watch adaptation uh and feedback in any thoughts that they have on the film so let's go through the plot uh, and the main points of the film. Because I don't think we need to like sit there and go through everything, you know, scene by scene. <laughs> it's not going to take that long. It ain't going to take that long. So let's go through the, the the sort of general synopsis, if you will. So the opening is rather delightful. Lovely music is playing, green, luscious fields, and Cujo <laughs> frolicking around chasing a little rabbit. Um, he's a lovely dog, isn't he? He, he is, yeah. He is uh, trying, I mean, he's trying to kill that rabbit, though. Well, yeah, but he's a loving... But only because he's stressed out, because obviously he hasn't got into uni. And... Yeah, he's still, you know, he's not really fulfilled his dreams, has he? Yeah. He's, he's just laying out. around. and He's a bit like Joe Camber in a way. Stock markets letting yeah. down and all that, so... But he's lovely. I absolutely love dogs and <laughs> I was okay. devastated later <laughs> on in the film. That, for me, that's 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 the hardest bit. 
really, like harder than everybody on the plane thinking I was watching some sort of torture porn. Yeah, is the fact that <laughs> Cujo he's such he is such a lovely dog. Yeah, and I don't I, like that's not scary. It just makes me feel really sad for the dog. Yeah, and that's that that was the only emotion I felt. I was like, all right, this dog is too lovely. I thought Cujo was going to be some sort of giant German Shepherd or like an angry looking dog. Yeah, he's just. He's delighted. You just want to give him a hug. Well, the thing with St. Bernard's is their eyes. They always look very sad. They, they inherit, are sad. They, they, you know, and, stressed and, out, And they're they? very sweet dogs. So, you know, I can completely echo those thoughts, Gareth. But as he chases the rabbit, he uh, burrows into its hutch. Um, <laughs> little, little did he know, bloody rabid bats are in there, aren't they? And they go mental. They are him. fuming. They are absolutely mental. They, they give him fair warning, though. Yeah, they, they are d- Screaming at him yeah. for about twenty minutes. Yeah, he takes his head out and he goes, oh, oh, "I want the rabbit! Oh, I want the rabbit!" <laughs> Did you do the audio book? <laughs> <laughs> If you put the subtitles on, that is exactly what it says. I did actually oh. watch the first hour of the film with the subtitles on by accident. Um, so that was quite an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. It didn't say anything like that. It just went no. bark, 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 <laughs> growl, scream. Yeah, tough job that subtitler had <laughs> yeah. for this film. Audio descriptive. Um, so the uh, the bat bites him on his little schnoz, and it's a uh, game over for him at this point. Unfortunately, there is no cure for rabies for dogs. I'm pretty sure. I think you're fucked. Not for dogs. No, no for humans there is, but I think you're pretty much <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Only if you catch it early enough. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, you become rabid, and then you kill dogs. Donna, yeah. Donna, Donna, Donna. We'll come on to her later. But uh, we now get introduced to the main family of Vic, Donna, and Tad Trenton. They're our main family in the film. And, you know, very similar to this in the book, how we get introduced to their family is is via Tad and his fear of the monster in his closet. Now, what do you guys think of the Trentons? A fucking weird name. Like, Tad Trenton. You know, I was thinking that uh, Stephen King's obsessed with the name Tad. Tad Beaumont, Tad Trenton. Well, I'm now wondering (laughs) if it was Thad Beaumont and I've just called him Tad. Yeah, it is Thad, but I think you pronounce it Tad. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm wondering if he wants us to pronounce it Fad. Anyway, it's still very close to Taz. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, just saying. There's a lot of names out there, Stephen. Let's work with some of those. Weird family. (laughs) Very weird family. Um, I mean, uh, Vic, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy. He's sort of the the rock of the film, if you will, in terms of emotionally, he seems to be (laughs) the most... Not like as in Dwayne Johnson. No, no. (laughs) He's the most stable member of the family. You like him, John? Good at tennis. Well, interestingly, in the book, that is the other way around, my friends. That I thought was really weird. (laughs) Yeah, weird change. So basically, uh, Donna, as we're going to talk about now, she has been having an affair with uh, Steve Kemp. And it turns out that, you know, the film, for some reason, made it seem like Steve Kemp was some sort of, I don't know, (laughs) not very authoritative person. Mm. Whereas in the book, he's like the best tennis player. He's like somewhat of like a sort of, I don't know, he's a semi-famous person in Castle Rock you kind of get the impression he's like a semi-professional tennis player like he's a a poet he's all of this sort of stuff (laughs) yeah no it's weird like so it was a weird decision by them how fuming would you be if not only is this guy sleeping with your wife yeah He's also beating you at tennis. Exactly, like mate. Every yeah. week. Exactly. No, it is. It is like that, and it's that's the funny thing. There is a specific line in the book um, that says uh, Steve would only ever shake hands over the tennis net after a game if he'd won. So yeah. when that happened, I was like, "What? Who is this guy?" Yeah, he's very different, um, and he's a lot. And we'll come on to Steve in a minute. Uh, but he's a very aggressive man. Um, but Do- <laughs> Don- Donna is obviously, you know, sleeping around. Tad is a... Well, is she sleeping around? It's only one person. That's true. That's true, John. We've had this conversation, haven't we? <laughs> Correct. Um, but so she's obviously very confused within the marriage. Tad is terrified by things in his closet, which we'll come on to later, because I think there's some interesting things that we can talk about with that whole thread of the story. It's not really explored <laughs> extremely well in the film, but it's extremely important in the book. But the Trentons, I think they're a good bunch. I think they're the most normal bunch in this in this sort of collection of characters that we have in in the story of Cujo. Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, like just coming back to that tennis thing. Yeah, I just loved it where he was like, "Car six one six love, <laughs> beat me again." Like, come on, wow. now. you wouldn't, you wouldn't play every week if you were getting trounced like that. Like, win more than that, six two six four or something. It was just but so weird that they changed it there now. as well. Jesus it's, Christ, it's absolutely. Bizarre. <laughs> to be fair, this does remind me of when I used to play tennis against Len. And I was beating him 6-1-6 love every week. 
and he was still coming down with me and playing with me every week and he was getting angry. I was like, don't worry about it, mate. We're going to get better. And you did. I'll get it over the net one day. So obviously in the book, we get a lot more context as to what the characters are thinking. And as we said, and me and Emma said, the film does adhere to the main beats of the book predominantly, but there's just a lot more context about the characters and what's going on in their minds. You know, some characters are explored in far greater detail. Characters like we'll come on to now in the Cambers. So the Cambers obviously own Cujo and they own uh, the sort of shop where the, the Trentons take their cars for repairs. I thought you could be like, and Brett. They uh, own Brett as well. They, they, do, <laughs> they do own Brett, their son. So you've got Joe Camber, uh, Charity Camber and Brett Camber. And Cujo Camber. And Cujo Camber. Oh, that's quite a nice little name, that Cujo yeah. Camber. Till he gets rabies. Till he gets rabies. Mm. And they're a very interesting family. <laughs> Joe Camber in the book is a very nasty man I think mm. He's, he, he, he does not <laughs> say what you feel he does, he does not come across well at all uh, and Charity is kind of forced into this subjugated role as wife where she can't even take her son on a holiday away for a week mm. um, and that kind of gets glazed over a bit in the film but it's a massive deal for her to take Brett away and it's one of these series of coincidences that happen in the book mm. and in the film that lead to the horrible situation that Donna finds herself in. <clears throat> what were your guys' opinions on the Cambers? Gaz, I know you like a sort of a, a Camber-like character, obviously being friends with John and everything so, uh, so <laughs> what are your thoughts on him? So, yeah, John with some mechanical ability is um, how how we should describe Joe Candler. Because, yeah. J-Mac, you've got very little in the way of... In, you know, yeah, man, man skills. Man skills, yeah. You've got a beard. Coming That's from you two, I mean, <laughs> fucking hell. If it came from me, legit. Sitting behind your little laptops, editing away. Ooh, close the window, close the blinds. <laughs> Jesus, man. Absolutely ridiculous. So, with Joe Canva. I was disappointed because obviously the um, postman gives us a bit of a heads up and he's like, you know, go and see, go see old Joe Canva up on six miles out of town. Yeah. And you imagine, <laughs> he he describes him as a stand-up guy. He's like, he won't rip you off, he'll do a good job. And you're like, all right. And then you go down and he seems to be struggling a bit. That's, you know, that happens. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Um, He's obviously working hard to try and, support his family but no he's just a dick so my bigger concern <laughs> is what is this postman's problem why is he sending people to the canvas also why is this postman actually out of a carry-on film i mean what was going <laughs> hey, on there yeah it was bizarre <laughs> completely bizarre mm. canvas where you need to go six miles up road <laughs> you know what i got that won't charge it too much neither. On, and well done, Stephen King, for the imagination for them living on Town Road 3. Is that what it is? I can't yeah. remember. Something like that, or Out of Town Road 3. No, nah, you want. No, nah, this is 2. Oh, fuck. all the way up this hill now. Uh, Charity and Brett do go away. And basically, so this is where we get introduced to the Cambers. Uh, Vic takes little Tadder and Donna to get his car fixed. Lovely car as well he's got. Lovely little convertible. Penis extension. I think it's a Jaguar. Lovely. Jaguar. And Jaguar. And uh, this is where Tad meets Cujo for the first time. Donna seems a bit wary of Cujo. At this point, Cujo has been bitten and is in the process of becoming rabid. It takes, you know, a week or two or something on those lines yeah. to actually feel the full effects of rabies. Mm. So this is when we first get introduced to this setting. And this setting is going to be very important because it is the key setting for the back half of the film. And... Arguably the funniest and scariest moments of the film. Donna was ridiculous there, though. Donna was ridiculous that there. Lovely, that, that lovely dog comes up. He's yeah. got a bit of jam on his nose. But other yeah. than that... Yeah, jam nose. Like, it was, oh, you'd be like, oh, don't show that dog. It's got jam all over its face. But you, you wouldn't go, <laughs> oh, bloody hell, he looks, he looks violent. He's not growling or anything. Lovely little dog. No. I, yeah, th- that was a point dog. where Donna, for me, was a bit of a dick. And I think, Len, you've you've already kind of brought this up, but one of the things that you miss so much in the film that you get more in the book is that inner monologue, almost, yeah. of all of them. But most of all, I think, from Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not joking, it's true. Yeah, you do get an inner... <laughs> you, you do get that in the book. You do, you what do. What do you mean? You do, there is... Um... What, so Cujo's like, who are these people? He talks about yes. the man, the woman and what? the boy, yeah. and he wants to be called good boy and he doesn't want to hurt he, them he, except oh, the rabies makes oh, him. Oh, for fuck's sake. How have you given this book four out of five? <laughs> this is ridiculous. I have to say, the audiobook version is also hilarious because they put on a little voice for Cujo. It's like, oh my god, I don't oh, want to be a bad dog. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
right. <laughs> uh, well, ask Stephen King, mate. I'm not the writer, but oh, I did enjoy word. it. I that did in- a shambles. I, I did enjoy it. Um, so, and also on that note, the inner monologue uh, is very important when we're understanding Donna as a character because she's obviously the <laughs> the protagonist of the film. I don't want to stroke that dog. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she's the main protagonist of the film and to be honest with you I I kind of feel like in the film version you don't really she just seems very standoffish with Vic like even after she's had an affair uh, you know (laughs) know, she's not trying to reconcile whereas in the book she's wholeheartedly trying to reconcile with Vic before he goes on his big trip Mm. Um, and I just found her very cold in this and because of that at the start I didn't really warm to her when she was in the situation of peril that you usually should whereas in the book I care a lot more about her uh, when she's in that situation and and the things that she's thinking about and how is this her way of being punished for what she's done in terms of cheating on her husband and all that sort of stuff so it's quite powerful it's quite powerful stuff so Vic goes away uh, because he is an advertiser he owns an advertising company (laughs) And you get so much backstory in the book about this oh fucking... God, it's yeah. it's just so much. It's too much, if anything. Nope, nothing wrong here. Yeah, the, the sharp cereal professor and all that sort of stuff. So, Crisis at Work, one of the cereals they're promoting, uh, Red Raspberry Zingers, makes everyone um, vomit blood, essentially. <laughs> uh, or It's not blood. It just looks it's not like... Ideal, it, it looks like blood because it's red. Yeah. It's the dye. They're, they're the advertisers. He works for the advertising company, correct? Yeah. Why is it that they're getting in trouble? Well, Gareth, I'm good, so very good question. So, very good question. And there is a good answer because they have built this very famous advertising campaign called the Sharp Cereal Professor, who always says, after he tries a bowl of cereal, nope, nothing wrong here. So their whole campaign is built upon, you know, nothing going wrong. So because of that campaign being centred around telling children that there's nothing wrong with this cereal and then them vomiting red substance. Okay. It puts them in a serious position. But in the film, it doesn't really come across that way. Mm. No. Um, well, but even so, the the people who should be in trouble are the, the cereal company that's yeah. making everybody piss yeah. blood. Yeah, like, that up, is who's in trouble. The advertising campaign, they can just, they can change it if they want. They can go, hey, kids, come and try sharp cereal. You can piss blood. And that's fine. <laughs> that's one That's one option. But you don't have a go at the advertising company. That is so. true, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting situation they find themselves in because they don't want to be the centre of blame. And I feel like we're giving the advertising stuff too much uh, attention when <laughs> in the book it also gets too much attention. Yeah. But it does provide a, a, a kind of plot move in the book whereas it, does. here it doesn't really make any sense so yeah. i can understand why gaz is asking yeah. that mm. because of the change in storyline yeah exactly storyline storyline yeah. all right um so when vic goes away obviously him and donna are on bad terms because he's found out about the affair and the affair is where with uh, steve kemp so let's talk about steve kemp quickly because he's mm. a very interesting character in the film as i said a bit of a dweeb i don't know what she's thinking He's ugly as well. Yeah, like... what is she thinking in, in the film? What is she thinking? <laughs> At that moment where we get like the sex scene or post-sex scene with him, A, no one's smoking, so... Yeah, d- didn't about? happen, didn't mm. happen. Secondly, she's wearing a dress, but she's just taking her knickers off. Oh, efficient. Like, it, Very efficient. not in that kind of mm. scenario, right? No, not if you're under the covers. Exactly. Right, exactly. You're in a house in a bed, you're not like... But she's the mum from E.T. She can't be getting her fucking tits out. No, it's because she's with an ugly dweeb. She's not taking her dress off. Yeah, that good, is true. Yeah. You're not but seeing these. Don't just... want him in the goods. Yeah, you get to see the foof, but nothing more. That's a quote. In the book, <laughs> in the book, he is, as I said, a lot more of a, an accomplished member of Castle Rock in terms of the fact that he, he's got lots of things going on. He's a semi-professional tennis player. He's a semi-professional poet, or I don't know what you call them. I don't think, I don't think poetry <laughs> is... Pro and semi-pro. Well, Sunday league. <laughs> Donna does say that his poetry is basically shit. She didn't understand any of it. Yeah, exactly. I got the impression when I read it that he was quite transient and he'd just come and set up shop because uh, he's a, a furniture stripper. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then, well, I mean, other things happen. But in, I think actually, let's be blunt about it. In the book, he's an absolute fucking prick. Yeah, he is yeah. awful. He's a bit of a bell end in this as well. Yeah, oh, I mean, no, ten times worse. The scene where he confronts Donna in their home happens in the book but in the book it's very much more forceful um you know and it's it's just not very pleasant to read to be honest with you um so he's an absolute wanker and when i was reading this uh, and watching the film 
I was hoping that when I was reading the book, I was like, all right, he must get eaten by Cujo at mm. some point, right? And then, okay, it didn't happen in the in the book or whatever. When I was watching the film, I was like, that would be a good adaptation. He needs to die, man. Mm. Um, yeah. Nope, didn't happen in this either. Were you guys annoyed that Kemp made it out of this film okay? Well, he kind of just disappears. Like, yeah. <laughs> just weird. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. 100%. He is, in some ways, I applaud that someone that is awful at tennis, obviously, uh, and overly aggressive um, and only wants to see the foof. Um, I applaud the fact that he obviously should die and doesn't. I quite like that yeah. misstep. Yeah. Well, he somehow survives, but as Vic goes away, uh, Donna and Tadda. Uh, are on their way to the uh, camper residence to have her car fixed. It's a Pinto. The Pinto is broken. The old Pinto. So she drives it up there and she decides to take Tad with her, which is <laughs> which is in the film completely fine. That's there's another, But in the book, uh, there are several telling signs that she should not take this, the kid with her. And she ignores her intuition here. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll come on to that later because there's some Ooh. interesting developments later on in the film. But as they approach the Camber residence, uh, they notice no one's around. Uh, and the reason for that is obviously because Charity Camber and Brett Camber have gone away for the week. She finally got to take her son away on a vacation. Joe Camber and Gary Pervier had the idea of uh, going away as well. But little did Gary know... Uh, that there was a rabid Cujo around the corner. Dun, dun, dun. So he gets absolutely mauled. Mm. Useless, Gary. Absolutely useless. I loved it. He's dead. Mm. Um, and let's just talk here about the dog violence. Um, <laughs> I know you were saying he's a limited uh, actor, our Cujo here. No, it's um, not, I mean, it's not his fault. No, it's not his fault. It's, 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 it's Again, genetic. Well, I mean, he's, he's a dog. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I was quite impressed with uh, some of the stuff they had him doing in this film, to be honest with you. Mm. I, you know, it's quite impressive, mm. I think. And just the fact that they even caked him in so much fucking shit. Oh, my God. What was that fucking he's loving stuff it, on his face? He's loving it. Is I, he? Like custard. No, but I... Well, yeah, he gets custard later on in the film. Oh, God. Um, but for the most part, it's uh, it's jam. Yeah. There's some marshmallow in there. Is there? Uh, he's loving it. He is loving it. Yeah, I bet I, he, he's having the best day of his life. Uh, more jam for Cujo, please. <laughs> he's had 10 jars then, already. Right, what's my motivation in this scene? Um, just We're just going to put loads more food on your face. Okay, fine. <laughs> D- can I yep. do that roll if you want? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Joe Camber, who is, hasn't heard from Gary, and Brett and Charity have just gone away, and he hasn't seen Cujo either. He's going to go check on Gary because they're going to Boston to go shag some prostitutes because that's what <laughs> that's, that's the kind of guys they are. Yeah. They He goes to the house, sees Gary on the floor dead, and this is where we have the famous line from our King Corner mm. uh, segment, uh, which is now going to be used for our feedback segment, <laughs> which you're going to hear later. Mm. <laughs> like that. That's just like that. And you'll yeah. hear it now. Joe is uh, he dead. Um, yes. He, he, he dead. Okay. And uh, funny thing about Joe in the book, uh, he gets his uh, his nuts ripped out, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, what's happening? He goes, he deserves it, goes, quite goes straight for the nuts, the balls. Is that a thing? Is that a thing that rabid dogs do? No, that's monkeys, I believe, that go for the nuts. But, what? Um, right. The, the balls, yeah. They go for the balls. Yeah. They take you out. They know they know how to get you. They take you out. Um, they take you out for dinner and then they rip your balls off. <laughs> Do you know what's sad about the actor, Cujo, Cujo that plays Cujo? Yeah, yeah. He's not. Um, he's not credited, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> is he not? He bloody better be, Gareth. Is he not credited? For I the don't film, think guys? he is. I'll tell you why that annoys me. Because normally in a film where you've got like quite a famous animal, yeah, and it comes up in the credits, it'll be something like. It would have been something like Cujo played by Billy the Bear or Bobo something. or something. Like, think, yeah. what's the point in that? People know that it's just a dog. They're not going to go, all oh, right, now I want Bobo for my Cujo film. played by the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this goes Cujo dot 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 dog. <laughs> Fucking hell, the lady reporter is credited, but the dog is not. Uh, oh, I, I, I think we should start a petition. Uh, and I mean, get him get him on the credits. Uh, may he rest in peace. Sorry, should we start a petition, did you Ooh, say? Oh, very good. Um, so they're dead. Uh, the rest of the cameras are away. 
And that means that obviously the Pinto is going to break down and 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 fail at the time of need at the Camber residence, uh, trapping Donna and Tada inside the Pinto for several days. And what ensues is kind of a survival horror sort of vibe, similar to maybe something like Jaws uh, in terms of the fact it's a monster movie, you know, <laughs> in, in that respect. And they even referenced Jaws earlier on in the film. Yeah, a little annoying kid. Which is clearly a heavy influence on this uh, on this iteration mm. of, of the book. So this whole sequence, I think we just do it as one chunk. Um did you enjoy it in a, in a way that I actually enjoyed it? It was chaotic. It was kind of like a weird, very bad dream. Cujo was menacing, jumping around the car, ramming his head into there. Donna's state of peril, not knowing what to do. It would be an extremely terrifying situation, mm. especially when you have no weapons of any sort. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit weird when she pulls up and has a look at Cujo and goes, fuck you, dog. That's weird. She does it in the book as well. Yeah. Fuck yeah, you, dog. That, 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 that's when she tries to leave because she thinks she just starts the engine again and she's like, ha, ah, fuck you, dog. I'm going to get out of here. And then the engine obviously breaks. Well, she's trying to move into reverse so she can do a, right, yeah. a three-point turn. Yeah, three-pointer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. And we'll be saving that Don't. for our driving lesson yeah. podcast. Yeah. I don't know if... Um, well, obviously, you do remember. Everybody remembers our old our old segment, Worst Line of the Week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fuck you, dog. Would have won it. Yeah, it would have won it. It's 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 one of those lines where everybody knows as soon as you say something, you're tempting fate. Yeah, like as soon as she says it, I'm like right, you're fucked now, Donna. Well done. Yeah, that was silly from her. Can mm. you imagine though if that was the end of the film? <laughs> Just there. <laughs> Surprising. Oh, that's fuck that, you, dog. That, credits roll. Drive off. Credits roll. That'd have been. I tell you what. I'd have liked that. <laughs> and then they somehow cure Cujo. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's in Cujo too, the curing. Well, the curing of Cujo. So obviously, as we've said, when you actually look at it, there's a large set of coincidences that happen that lead Donna and Tada to this situation. They're there for days, guys. They're there for like three days, I think it is in total. Um, One thing that they don't emphasise in the film is that it's like 110 degree heat. Yes. Mm. So that's the problem. It's this dehydration. The fact that you do see them sweating quite a lot in the film, but you don't really get a sense of the the unbearable heat. And they said in the book, they're like, it's one of the hottest summers they've ever had. Mm. Um, Right. Someone, um, someone lick Donna and the little kid's face. Yeah. So we can emphasize sweat. Yeah. Someone comes over with a a bucket of jam. No. No, that's for, that's that's for, for Michael Cujo. the dog. <laughs> but I just know that Michael's fame was made out of um, sugar and egg whites. There you go. Yeah, well, there you go. And they didn't have to keep stop filming because of the five St. Bernard's that they used. Um, they all kept licking it off. Five? Yeah, they five. killed four in that scene. Oh. And at one point, a Rottweiler was used because the St. Bernard's didn't look mean enough. Hold on, oh. hold on, hold on. No, I read it on the internet. There's no way they snuck a Rottweiler in this instead of a St. Bernard. I'm not having that. No. John John is eagle-eyed. He, I, loves, he I, loves an extra. I need to see that. So in her battle with Cujo, which is very much a sort of uh, a nemesis of hers is Cujo. She very much sees it that way in the book and, and, and believes that Cujo is literally staring into her soul and sort of like literally, <laughs> you know. And in the book, as Emma says, we do get the uh, perspective of Cujo who at this point is say he's rabid. And no, what was he saying? He, well, oh, <laughs> I'm rabid. Uh, Let me in. He's, he's hurting a lot because what rabies does, it attacks their, their nervous system. Everything like noises become extremely painful. Mm. Um, things that they recognize no longer become recognizable. And she just, she believes that the, the woman and the boy, as he mm. uh, terms them in the book, are, uh, <laughs> The, the source of his pain. So he believes that whoever, if he kills these people, he it will, will it, the pain will go away. So it's a nice little thing to make Cujo a lot more um, lovable. Accessible to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so in this personal battle, it goes on for days. Vic, you know, is away. He has nightmares that something's going on. So that could be something supernatural. Perhaps. Shine. perhaps. Shining. Well, you know, just saying. Uh, and... Because of uh, Steve Kemp trashing the house, the police get involved. Why is he ripping pillows? Why is there feathers everywhere? He is a very troubled, angry man. 
destroying the marital bed. He he well, fe- fuck you, I fucked your wife. He feels very betrayed, mm. doesn't he? He's a very bitter, bitter, lonely. He's got tennis balls and tennis rackets everywhere. Yeah. Vic comes home uh, and they're trying to figure out where is Donna and Tad? And they can't figure it out for the you know for all these reasons because it would be a very bizarre situation. You wouldn't necessarily think that this sort of things happened, um, but they do <laughs> remember that the Pinto was broken and that she was going to take it to the camper residence. Mm. So where is the car? That's what this guy keeps saying all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like constantly. Yeah, it's all he says. Where's the car? Yeah. yeah. Uh, where is the car? Good point. Bannerman, go up and check out where the car is. Oh, um, so obviously Sheriff Bannerman is a, is a stalwart of Castle Rock and as, as Emma will testify to after reading The Dead Zone and we've talked about The Dead Zone a lot, yep. is a very important character in that story. Mm-hmm. He's the one who enlists Johnny Smith. Yep. Uh, which is obviously, you know, already he means he believes in supernatural things and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, and him... Going to the Camber residence is a very sad end for a character with such um, importance in the town of Castle Rock. What were your thoughts on Bannerman Gaz? Right, we can. We've obviously we've seen a bit of um, the Castle Rock police department um, in Castle in in Castle yeah. Rock the show. Uh, so it's good to see that the uh, the ineptitude that exists has been. <laughs> Has been so deep rooted and long lasting. Is the, what is he thinking? Like he turns <laughs> up, he turns up, and rather than saying, you know, getting on his little walkie-talkie and saying, "Right, I'm here," he decides to get out of the car because he hears something. Then he he does think, actually, I should I should probably radio in just to tell him, you know, I'm going to go and check some shit out. But he picks up the walkie-talkie and then decides not to say anything yeah. before venturing off on his own. Yeah. He's <laughs> fucking useless. Absolutely useless. Why has he sent why has he sent that guy out? Bannerman yeah. well, is an absolute dickhead and deserves what's coming. In fairness to Bannerman, he did work alongside Frank Dodd. Um in fact took him under his wing the, the whole strangler. time that he was strangling yeah. and raping women. <clears throat> so he's not particularly um observant. No. Yeah, actually, how shit is he? Yeah. Uh, as a, as a, as a sheriff that he's like I can't figure out who's killing all these people. I'm just going to go to some guy that thinks he's psychic. Like I mean that is mental. Yeah. So he does turn to the supernatural um and you know, in the book, he has a bit more of a, not a heroic death, but he tries a bit harder and he's like, his guts are literally hanging out of his his, his midriff and he's trying to crawl towards his car to, to get back on the radio to save. He, he knows he's done for, but he's mm. trying to save Donna and Tadda. Um, Here's something for you. Yeah. So in the book. Yeah. So if we're saying that Cujo's like, right, it's this annoying little kid and woman. Yes. Like Anything this, that he This sees. is why I've got a banging headache yeah. and I'm covered in jam. That's right. Um, so why does he have a go at, at Bannerman? It's any. It's, he sees them all as like misshapen monsters uh, <clears throat> right. that he that is the cause of his pain. It, it, there is actually a line like even when Bannerman turns up that is like, "Now this man's the source of my pain. I must yeah. kill him." <laughs> really good dialogue from QJ. I'm not even joking. That is literally probably well, think, him. From my understanding of rabies. Um... <laughs> oh God! Here we go. Because it attacks your central nervous system, doesn't it? Heighten all of your senses, yes. especially sound. Yeah. Right. So anything. Okay. So when the when the um, police cruiser up. turns up, the noise of the car sends Cujo a little bit batty again. Yeah. Mm. Bannerman, R.I.P. This paves the way for Pangborn, correct, Emma? Yeah. Uh, eventually, which obviously becomes the sheriff. Um... I mean, thank fuck, quite frankly. Yeah, thank fuck for Pangborn. Um, but Vic, uh, when no one hears back from uh, from Bannerman. Because they're like, well, why isn't he radioed in? <laughs> He's the sheriff. No, they're not. They're not even like that. They don't. They don't give a shit. It, it, it takes. It takes. Um, Vicky boy. What's his name? What's the Vic? Vic it takes Vic to say, you know, what's what's going on for them to go like, oh yeah, no, nah, we haven't. He's probably pro- probably just checking something out. Yeah, <laughs> that's and not how Vic... police department works. Check in with him, <laughs> and then Vic's like, "Well, fuck this! I'm going up there because it doesn't sound right." He's got a good intuition. He gets in his lovely Jag, uh, and when he was driving off in that Jag, I was like, "Well, he's got no hood. He's fucked." Like, fuck yeah! At least the Pinto's got some sort of protection. Mm. Um, and as he's driving over, Donna realizes that Tadda is in very dire straits because he is, you know, he's been in a hundred and ten degree. Uh, car for like three days he's had no food or very hardly any food 
hardly any water. Um, you would be in a bad state if you're a four-year-old kid. Mm. Um, she has one last go at trying to kill Cujo or trying to, you know, win this battle with her nemesis. She grabs the nemesis. Ba- yeah, she. Yes, gra- that's what. That's what it is. She. I know, uh, but... She grabs the baseball bat, <laughs> um, swings very much like Shelley Duvall in The Shining. I couldn't believe the sort of uh, form she was getting. Awful. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that Jack Nicholson was knocked out in the Shining film, and I and I don't believe that. Well, Co- she is only semi-pro. <laughs> yeah, <she's> semi-pro baseballer. <laughs> she's um, slash poet, uh, and uh, she you know bludgeons him a bit, and a un- bit, yeah. unfortunately the baseball bat breaks. Cujo's like, well, you're dead now. Jumps on top of her, but little did he know the splintered stake-like baseball bat pierces through his heart, mm. uh, and he lays dead. Dun, dun, dun. Mm, yeah. um, Emma, it's not the heart in the book, is it? It's the, it's uh, the eye. It's the eye, isn't it? Ooh, uh, straight through the eye. And there's some very excellent descriptive gore uh, in this scene as as like, literally the eye oozes out of the socket and drips onto Donna's face as she's yeah. uh, stabbing him. So it's very, very good. Obviously, they couldn't get that level of gore in the film and they didn't want to stab a dog in the eye. Not um, yeah. <laughs> they ran out of jam. <laughs> ran out of <laughs> Just have some marshmallow come out of these. No, they're all gone. They're all gone. Um, yeah, they gone? I ate them. Uh, Cujo. The director's Michael. like, director's like, right, um, we're over budget here, guys. We're about $10 million. Uh, I can see there's a bill here, $6 million on jam. <laughs> 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 what are they thinking? <laughs> um, so she believes that Cujo is dead. Uh, oh, is he? Uh, picks up the gun, breaks frantically into the car because she can't get Tad out because the door's all jammed and stuff. Smashes the back window. Coming in, jam. Yeah, yeah coming in. Yeah. Uh, she gets him into the house and he is fucked. He's not breathing. Uh, his lips are blue. He's pale as a sheet. There's no pulse. Um <laughs> Okay. So he's is that a, poetry. As well, it's, uh, Steve Kemp, eat your heart out. Yeah. Are you, um, you semi pro? Uh, you know, <laughs> she she tries to resuscitate him. She she screams and she wails, uh, and he comes back alive. Um, but you'd think it's all sunshine and roses. Uh, <laughs> but then, out of nowhere, window smash. Cujo's back. I'm back. Uh, who else saw this coming? Everyone saw this coming, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred um, percent. Uh, <laughs> Didn't do it right, but look, I quite like that. It's just, it's just it's cheese, silly, isn't, isn't it? it? Silly, yeah. isn't it? Um, now, I believe Emma wants to come on to what is the uh, <laughs> the biggest difference of 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 the book and the film, and the difference between them. Emma, take it away. Cujo was I, an elephant. Can I talk about the one I really want to talk about, not the ending? Uh, yes. Okay, we are talking earlier about when Steve Kemp vandalises the Trenton home. Mm. Uh, John, I've saved this one specially for you. I'm really oh, excited. Excellent. So when Donna and Tad go up to uh, the camper uh, place, camber place, camber Jesus, place, yeah. Yeah. No, girls, the camber place. <laughs> Donna leaves a note on the board saying, "Taking the cards, cambers." Yeah. Blah, blah. Anyway, then they bugger off, and Kudra happens. But Steve <laughs> turns up at the house, furious at this point, right? Because she's dumped him. He's then come back, tried to have his way with her. She said no. So he's come back, fuck you, I'm going to trash the house. Mm. So he literally trashes the whole place. And then, so in the book, it's really weird. And I don't know how this was to listen to then. He's getting quite turned on by the whole thing. So they talk about like Mm. him walking around with a hard on. Yeah. (laughs) So then he sees this note on the fridge and he rubs it off and he he changes it. Oh, yeah. He does one off. No, wait. He rubs off the note and he writes... um, Left something upstairs for you, baby. Then yeah. goes upstairs and jerks off all over their bed. Yeah. All right. Extreme. I, yeah. So I saved this one for Emma because... You I know. thought you'd really like it, John. No, it, I mean... Just it, imagine all those feathers covered in, you know... No, there were no feathers. It just... Jam. Did nothing to the room. <laughs> spunked jam all over the bed. Well, he's been, he's been eating that cereal. Red raspberry zingers. Red rum. Um, so <laughs> that's 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 one major departure. Obviously, they didn't show uh, the explicitity there mm. of, of of Steve Kemp's knob. But uh, what is the main change in the film is the fact that Tad Trenton, Tadder, little Tadder, dies in the book. Ah, oh, I'd have loved that. Um, it's a very depressing ending. Uh, basically, after Donna goes through all that, Vic turns up at the, the in well, what you think is the nick of time. Tad is just dead and lifeless for like 20 minutes. They, it is horrific descriptive scenes of, oh. of, of her being 
mad. She's got rabies at this point as well. So, so she has actually got she rabies. She has actually got rabies. Um, and she refuses to let go of her son. She bites one of the hospital staff and then they have to be cured for rabies. They have to take something like four men to restrain her because she's so distraught. Do you know what the most heartbreaking bit for me was? So this is when Vic turns up to rescue them. Yeah. Donna at this point is bashing Cujo's head in with with the remnants of the baseball bat. Over and over again. Until Mm. it's like not even there anymore. Right. And then, so Vic turns up, grabs Tad out of the back of the car and says, Donna, how long has he been dead? Yeah. So there is a point here, I think, when you read this, where you think, shit, has he been dead for like two days? Because mm. he's tiny. Yeah. Like, uh. Do we really know what's been going on? Mm. She refuses to accept it. Then goes back to beating the shit out of yeah. Cujo. Mm. So she gets, Fucking yeah, awful. she gets pulled off of uh, Tad oh. after like an hour or so of his dead corpse being there. John being extremely inappropriate. Uh, she won't let anyone then, near him. She won't let anyone near him. <laughs> And uh, then she goes and just bashes Cujo in again. And then because the sedatives start taking effect, she just passes out. Mm. Um, And we're left, you know, with uh, her and and Vic months later. um, You know, the film ends quite abruptly. They just literally go out on the porch. It's like, oh, it's all right. What the fuck was that? Uh, It was really weird. (laughs) That was hilarious. It was hilarious. I loved that. It just ends. Oh, what's going on here? Is is this knackered or... Oh, no, here come the credits. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's bizarre, but in the book you have like several months later and you have obviously Brett and uh, Charity Camber come back from their trip and it's about the Camber family and the Trenton family uh, trying to recover after this, tra- you know, traumatising event that has absolutely decimated their families. Mm. I understand why they didn't do it in the film. I no, think it would have been yeah. very hard to deal with yeah. that as a four-year-old boy. Yes. Um, it's a horror movie. It's, and also it's the, the ending... Is nonsense. Like there is no point in Vic turning up. Like that doesn't. Why are we following? Why is he? Why are we seeing him make the decision to go over there? <laughs> yeah, when it has absolutely zero uh, consequence. It, it, like, it has zero consequence in the book as well. To be honest with you, Gareth. I mean, it, it's not like he mm. goes over there and kills Cujo. It, it's just one of those things. Like it's just like I said, a series of coincidences that conspire against the family. Um, it's not like they run out of film or something. Yeah. Just, oh fuck! Well, just, yeah, just <laughs> oh no, we're out of jam. Way. Because of the We're jam. Out of jam, just just end it. End it. <laughs> We've got no more jam. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a tragic ending, and I have to say, the ending actually really affected me, and that is what took it up to a four blueberry because it was such a shock. Um, mm. It really did shock me, uh, and I think it's actually a very powerful ending, and it just goes to show there's a lot of violence in this in the book and in the film. Uh, sexual violence, just violence between that. <laughs> between uh, you know the the husband and wife relationships in 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 the film mm. and the book uh, and it, and the dog and everything. It's just very <laughs> very. Uh, it's a brutal, depressing read because, as I said, none of these people are very endearing. There's there's not many qualities about them that are endearing. You come to uh, like Donna after the, the things that she's done with with Steve Kemp and all that jazz. Um, and Vic, you kind of you, you sort of stick with him, but these other characters around them are just not very pleasant. Mm. And I think it's a very good book, and I think the film did a good job of sticking to the to the beats. Uh, but they missed out on, I think, the most shocking ending, uh, and and the thing that would have put it in a great standing, uh, in a better standing in, in a t- testament of time, would have been to kill Tad. Yeah. Because then that would have actually had a very shock ending. I mean, shock endings there aren't that many out there back back in the eighties. To be mm. honest with you, when you think about mm. it, um, and that would have really put it on. I mean, it would have still not been a great film, but it would have had a moment in it that people would have talked about. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's a bit of a shame they didn't go for that. But I think we should talk about uh, Castle Rock as a whole. And also uh, anything supernatural that we think might happen in this film. So obviously for John and Gareth, who haven't read the book, uh, we're going to go through a couple of things that might allude to some supernatural behaviours. So I'm just going to list these things off and then we'll talk about them, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, first of all, uh, you guys obviously remember the closet that is at the start of the film and Tad sees the monster and he's got his monster words there, Mm. you know, when he he holds them in the car. In the film, they they don't make enough about it, but it's actually quite a big deal for him. And the closet is a very interesting... Um, device in the book because mm. it is a constant reminder to Vic and to Donna. They constantly keep revisiting this closet and the monster that was in the closet. And it's sort of, uh, there's a story that goes around Castle Rock because of uh, Frank Dodd, the, stra- the serial strangler in the dead zone years Girl, ago. Frankie. And the, the, the nightmare that gets spread around children is that he he's still alive, he's still out there, he's going to come and get you. <laughs> and that's what Tad 
thinks about because he's heard yeah. about uh, Frank Dodd. And this is sort of like the unofficial sequel to The Dead Zone. Yes, it is in a way, the unofficial sequel. You're completely right. And that closet thing is constantly in, in Vic's mind and in Donna's mind. They keep, And Donna, essentially, before even the events with Cujo in the car, believes something is going on in that closet. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, and uh, you know, Vic towards the end of the film when Donna and Tad are gone and he doesn't know where they are uh, he's starting to see things and you know so in terms of supernatural stuff that is left open in the book and it's also left open in the film I mean not very well explored in the film mm. um, but do you guys think there's anything supernatural going on there? I mean, again not, not, not in the film version no. I don't think so other than the fact that I mean, I don't know if rabies uh, makes you, like, super dog. I think you just go a bit mad for a bit. Yeah. I don't think you can be beaten and stabbed and then come back alive and jump through a window. Yeah, that's um, true. Right. But hey, you know. But hey. I'm not a rabies expert. You're not a vet, are you? No. He's, no. he's doing his evasive role, though, so that's why he's... Uh, oh, yeah. Going. <laughs> I think unless you've read the book, it would be very hard to uh, allude to anything supernatural in the film because it's not overt... Whereas very much like any of Stephen King's works in the book Cujo, it's just this undercurrent of yeah. questioning. Yeah. Although the closet is quite overt. Yeah. Um, but look, it's it's an adaptation, and yeah. uh, I, yeah. I the the way I watch that film is I I see that as one that doesn't have supernatural yeah. stuff. But. And the thing that's interesting as well as we go through some of these supernatural points is to remember that. There's a lot of questions here. Like I just said, that's left open in 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 in, in the book. Yeah. Um, does that remind you of anything that we've just been watching for a whole season? There's a lot of questions. Predator? Oh God. There's a lot of questions that are left unanswered in Castle Rock, and it's important that just to remember that this too is, many questions. Well, yeah, but this is a, a something that happens in Stephen King's books. There are things that are left open, open to interpretation. Ambiguity. Ambiguity. And the next thing we're going to talk about is obviously in the film you see this. Vic wakes up extremely rushed in the night, and he's got a sweat, and he's like. Oh, I need to call home and he calls home and no one's there in the book he's having these dreams literally of a monster mm. because of the relating to the monster words in the closet yep. attacking Donna and Tad mm. so I mean that's very coincidental mm. obviously he's very fearful at this point of his relationship with Donna because they leave it on quite uncertain terms and she's yep. just been having an affair so that's obviously playing and now into- she's not at home for a and now yeah exactly so when that happened were you like oh that's a bit weird that was a bit of a weird cut did you think that maybe something supernatural was going on there no I thought he's he's having he's nervous about his uh, his family and like I don't know I think it is a stretch to uh, for for the film watchers only yeah to add anything supernatural I, I I totally get what you're saying and if you've read the book then you'll have a different perspective on everything in there but I reckon I don't think they're even setting out to include ambiguity yeah about. I think they tried to just cut anything uh questionable out of the film other than the closet stuff which they just at the end of the day just boil down to uh it just imagination being, yeah imagination mm. um there's a very interesting dream as well that tad has in the book which is uh he basically sees the grim reaper is that right and he sees like death well yeah something like that but it, it's kind of his four-year-old imagination it's, of it isn't yeah it? it's really creepy but it's literally just before they go off to uh the Canberra residence because in the book Donna doesn't want to take Tad and she's not going to. She's going to leave him with the babysitter. And then he complains and complains and complains because he's just had this dream. And he goes down and and argues with with Donna and she finally buckles Mm. and allows, you know, him to go with her. Now, imagine the ending in the book is more powerful because of this, because she was never going to take him there. Now he's dead you know, it's, it's all her fault and she's got to, you know, live with this for the rest of her life. It's and a very traumatising thing. The phone call that she has with Vic prior to that is him telling her to call the Ford garage to come and, you know, yes. give her a pick up and get her a rental. Yeah. And her in the monologue is saying, well, I won't worry him, I'll just take it up to campus. So yeah. actually, I'm sorry, Donna, but it is all your fault. <laughs> a series of bad decisions and coincidences led Donna to this eventuality. And that's Cujo. So overall, uh, I actually really enjoyed watching it. I really enjoyed listening to the audiobook. And if anyone is interested in some Stephen King that doesn't have that much supernatural stuff in it, do read it. It's quite good. You get a lot more background into the characters and it doesn't take too long to read or listen to at all. So mm. definitely worth doing if you've got some spare time and you're interested in that kind of thing. But now we're moving on to a little bit of listener feedback. I'm innocent, Red. Just like everybody else here. 
The house is burning. Hi, Georgie. I'm afraid I have a tendency to turn up the heat. Red rum! Red rum! First of all, I want to say thanks to everyone who's given us feedback this season. It's been amazing. And uh, we've obviously had a bit less feedback because the show isn't as you know prominent in people's minds. But we're hoping that by doing these adaptations, if you are interested in watching them and you see them, we release every two weeks, uh, feel free to send us any emails with thoughts on the film or how it relates to Castle Rock, the show, in any way, shape or form, because we really do appreciate that. All you have to do is email in to fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. That is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com or respond to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we're quite active on all three. So if you send us a message, we usually get back pretty quick. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, jump into some feedback. So Mike had this to say. <laughs> Whoa, Mike is in the dog. Yeah, so Mike, uh, who we've now said that Cujo's name is actually Michael. Uh, Mike has this to say on Cujo. Thanks for writing to us on uh, on Facebook, Mike. He said he got around to watching Cujo, so he's all set for the pod. It was basically what I expected. Bad in an awesome 80s way. Personally, I don't find animals to be scary, even rabid ones. It's just nature. So I didn't find the movie in the least bit frightening. I mean, come on, a cute... Uh, a cute widow St. Bernard with some vanilla pudding on his face. Nah. But the 80s hairstyles and clothing, now that was frightening, to be fair. Some of the some of the costumes were god-awful. Mm. Vic's got good hair, though. Well, Vic, yeah, does, I mean, yeah. Vic's got good hair, but those shoulder Lovely. plaids that Donna's wearing, I don't know what she's thinking. <laughs> but in all seriousness, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, uh, though, was a bit surprised by the story since it lacked any supernatural elements so common in Stephen King's writings. But overall, it was a fun watch with a bottle of wine. So Emma's angry because she couldn't even have any booze. Mm. And uh, chamomile we, tea. And we've just said how you're right, <laughs> completely right. The film had no supernatural stuff in it. But as we've just detailed, if uh, there are some inklings to some supernatural goings on in the book. So thanks for uh, writing to us, Mike. We'll let you know what we're covering next week very soon. So we had a bit of uh, Castle Rock feedback on some of our social channels that we need to catch up with because uh, we were very, very busy and we uh, a few pieces of uh, feedback slipped through the cracks as they were. Uh, Jake Chambers 83 uh, says this, assuming that the kid, well, this is Castle Rock related, obviously, season one of Castle Rock. Assuming that the kid was indeed the devil or a demon that could read minds and therefore construct such an elaborate lie that he was the biological son of Ruth or Matthew, I feel like we were given most of the answers during the 10 episodes. What I wish they would have confirmed is young Henry being caged by Desjardins and meeting the kid there and why he can't remember any of it. So that was one of our big gripes with the show as well was the fact that the Desjardins storyline was sort of forgotten about after episode four mm. and they never went back to it. So we're completely with you there, Jake. Hopefully we get more Desjardins stuff in future seasons because they are a, a key family name in the town of Castle Rock. And all we can say to that is hopefully uh, we see some more creepy Desjardins houses and, and characters because mm. they are weird people. I like him. Yeah, I know you do, John. Mm. You're a Joe Campbell-like character, so you'd fit right in with... Uh, <laughs> With uh, bloody Desjardins, boy. Yeah. Um, okay, boy. So uh, Crystal's emailed in. She's asked us this. Uh, she said she really liked the Castle Rock podcast this summer. Thanks, Crystal. And this is uh, a note for anyone with, is why we're saying this. Uh, she was wondering if uh, we'll be doing any Game of Thrones prediction shows or anything like that tied to the final season. Well, uh, we love Game of Thrones. It's why we started talking to each other as friends. It's uh, the reason that we started podcasting. Mm. Our first ever podcast, if you subscribe to Fan Critical, are us doing the second half of Game of Thrones Season 7, because that's when we started, <laughs> which is a bit random. It's pretty much like... From episode four, or something. yeah, spoils of war, <laughs> and we, we it was a bizarre time to start. <laughs> and we, we I mean, we, that's awful. Yeah, and we basically just got together in a room and had a laptop and got drunk and talked about Game of Thrones. Now the thing is, yeah, we actually not do, like the studio that we've got now. Well, exactly, but not you know, 
we know a lot about Game of Thrones, I think, between us. Yeah. Uh, we've all read the book several times. We're obsessed with the show. Uh, so the so Game of Thrones is something that's massive for us in terms of we always still talk about it all the time as a group mm. of friends. Mm. Uh, we will be covering the final season of Game of Thrones and we're going to be setting up our very own Game of Thrones podcast because Ooh. there is a lot more content to come in terms of that. There is the extra new HBO show coming out set 10,000 years before the events of Game of Thrones. That'll be premiering in about a year and a half, two years' time. Uh, but not only that, <laughs> we are praying to God for the new novel. Which one? Uh, you know, which one of the gods? One of the seven. Yeah. Um, we're praying. Yeah, we're praying that George will release, obviously, uh, Winds of Winter. We pray to every god new good new gods and the old gods that he will deliver it to us um and we're going to be covering that as well so we will be doing a lot of game of thrones stuff i'd say in the next couple of months there's no exact date on it yet but we will be setting that up and we'll let everyone know when it is set up so thank you for that crystal mm. uh, and we can't wait to talk about game of thrones again yeah boy it's just so much fun to talk about hurry up george hurry up george rr <laughs> and that's it this week um so thank you everybody for being with us and there's only one thing left to do and that's to say what we're going to be covering in two weeks time and I have to say after covering uh, a film obsessed with a dog who gets bludgeoned to death (laughs) and there's no supernatural stuff going on I figured it'd be hilarious if we dug up some dogs (laughs) and some animals in our pet cemetery yeah So, I've always yeah. wanted to watch Misery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in two weeks' time, we'll be returning to cover Pet Cemetery. I can't wait to watch it again. I mean, I haven't seen Pet Cemetery for years. We talked about it a bit during Castle Rock Season 1 because of all of the, the connotations with digging up uh, Puck's body or what was the stray that would look yeah. like Puck. So, yeah, it, it'll be very important to, to cover that. So, please, in two weeks' time... Uh, go and watch it anytime in those next two weeks or read the book. Uh, me and Emma will be endeavouring to read the source material and watching the film as well, whilst John and Gareth just sit on their little asses. Well, joke's on you, because I've already read it, so... I'm going to watch it in an airport in Singapore. There you go. So there you go. Um, <laughs> that's the place to do it. I'm not watching it on my own, because the last time I did it gave me nightmares for about 10 years. Mm. I'm still having them. Join us in two weeks for that. I want to say thanks to uh, Little Tadder, Little Tadda Gaz, who didn't make it out of this podcast, just like Little Tadda didn't make it out of uh, the Pinto. Um, Jesus. Bye, mate. All right. He said I died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a bad analogy, but... All right. Thanks. But... <laughs> so it's bye to Emma, also Donna, who uh, did survive the Pinto, but has scars for life. Fuck you, dog. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Good. And uh, that, my dog, I mean Len. That slobbering you hear is not Cujo, but it is a very randy Joe Camber who has just got back, <laughs> just got back from his Boston trip, and he's going to say bye as well. Mm, jam and prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it for this week. We'll see you in two weeks' time for Pet Cemetery and more Castle Rock news. Cheers, bye, guys. Len.